0: You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. You know... One of the things that you said is that money represents or money is one of the biggest arguments or disagreements in a coupleship. And when I think about major, major couples issues, I think about having children, how to rear them. I think about fidelity. I think about money. I think about maybe family or in-laws. These are the really big ones. But um, there are many more. Every couple has their own priorities. But I think you're saying, and I want to be really clear, that the way the couple handles their money issues, is that a reflection of how they handle a lot of other things
1: in the relationship? Money itself is can be a flashpoint for many couples. What I think is indicative is their power dynamic or how disempowered or falsely empowered one is for, with the other. Because that aspect, whether then we're talking about money, and, and this is a little bit off the, the topic, so I know we're reintroducing power into this, but how couples work together. My parents who were married for 50 years argued all the time about money. And apparently I don't remember the story, but my mother tells me there's a story that they had this huge blowout argument where my father just couldn't uh, handle the finances. He couldn't pay the bills. He was too anxious. And she goes, I'll just pay the bills. And he goes. Right. That's all I've I that wanted. That's all yeah. I've ever wanted. And from that day forward, she paid the bills, and they were much happier. They bickered about other things, of course. But he, his insecurity and his anxiety around seeing money and not having enough drove that because he grew up with less, and they were insecure financially. Mm-hmm. My mother, who became more now empowered to take charge, before then she was very disempowered, and chose not to want to get involved. And to her credit, she stepped up, started paying the bills and the arguments while they migrated to other other types of topics for which they argued, it was no longer about that. And she also then went back to work. She began, uh, she did study to be a teacher and became a teacher and had her own income. So it was not, uh, it was no longer mm-hmm. about how much do I spend? And my father saying, you're spending too much. She now became a teacher, contributed to the income of the household and said, I can spend what I want because I'm earning this money and you can't tell me what to do. And I always thought he did try to control with money and he never did. She said, I just didn't want to know about finances and he just wanted me to be more responsible. And so that gets us into another whole area about financial responsibility and
0: so Deb, I I do think we could talk about this all day, and maybe sometime we could give a little workshop or something, helping under people, even doing some role plays, yes. like, well, I want this, and how do you do that, and you know, all that kind of stuff. I think that would be good to set some examples for folks.
1: I would absolutely love.
0: But in the meantime, you know, if a couple is in crisis, let's say about, well, infidelity or. What are two or three things that you would ask them, you know, in terms of the money piece? This is how that might play into it. This is how you might manage it, this is how you might look at it. I know it's gonna be different for every couple, but what are the primary things that you think, again, trust has been destroyed on across the board? What what are the big issues that come up for couples that you really think they need to think about related to the finances?
1: If there has been infidelity, secret keeping, and lies around money, absolutely. First get help, seek help, go to seeking integrity, come to Deborah Kaplan, come to a financial therapist. You you cannot do this alone. And many couples wait until the very final moment before that's it, we're gonna divorce, now we're gonna go see a therapist. So don't wait. But without there being infidelity, because that's where more couples get stuck in the mire of the back and forth. It's my you know, my perspective. No, it's my perspective, that sit down and ask yourself what ultimately do I want for us? What is it that I'm fighting for? And ask that or or even think about what is my partner, what is my partner fighting for? Right. And put our own needs aside just mm-hmm. for a moment and begin to see what is it that we both want. Putting our own needs aside may also amplify what it is that's going on for that person. When I Which put person? my needs for each individual person when I, I put my need aside and say what do we you and i want for a vacation and i say but but i won't be heard i have to listen to that inside voice that's saying what may show my fears so the part of me that is saying okay i'll put my my interests aside for the betterment of us but what if my needs aren't met now i've tapped into what my underlying beliefs and behaviors may be about money and to work with a therapist around that. If it's self-led, great. You want to get the book. I think it's very helpful for many couples. Want-
0: We're going to talk about that in just a second. Yeah. So the three things that you think, are, let's just take the infidelity issue out of the way and to say couples who are struggling with finances and see themselves fighting and becoming a highlight of their problems. What are just a, a few tips you would give them to begin to work toward healing?
1: Stay calm. Communicate. And have compassion. Compassion for yourself and compassion for your partner.
0: So what do you mean stay calm? No panic?
1: Yeah, there's no panic, Mm -hmm. no vitriol, no arguing, no anger. This can be resolved. Finger
0: pointed, finger pointing.
1: And to remind oneself to start with being calm because it's a conversation, not an argument. It doesn't have to erupt into the argument. It starts as a conversation. And then to... Find some compassion for your partner and for yourself because you are in this together as a couple. Mm. You brought your worlds together. You brought your lives together. You didn't only just bond around a romantic love and desire for each other. You also brought your world about and the meaning of money. And that has to be also explored. Many couples don't talk about money until they're in an argument
0: or in a crisis.
1: Or in crisis,
0: and then care,
1: and then care, and maintain that sense of um, curiosity for what is happening for yourself and for your partner.
0: So I got to calm myself down before I have this conversation because if I come into it in a heated moment, I may make threats. I may the things I say may come out of you know my inner five year old, if you will, who's tantruming.
1: Yes. And that's what we talk about in the book. Our little five-year-olds are at the board table at the company trying to run this company for, as a CEO. And those little wounded parts of us that come out and go, no, we can't spend this money. And or yes, I want to go on this vacation and you can't stop me. And we never go away. We never go anywhere. Or I want to buy a product that's not on sale. Whatever the whatever that aspect is, those parts of ourselves that have carried the wound and that's from apart from an IFS, I'm introducing IFS here. Internal Family Systems, which is a theory and approach to therapy developed by Richard Schwartz, Dr. Richard Schwartz, who gave a beautiful and wonderful supportive endorsement of our book. I think that the recognition that we all have parts of ourself that we bring to a relationship and to have compassion and curiosity about those parts.
0: I wanna tell a bit of a personal story really quick because to me it represents the challenge of recovery in money. And I'd like to think that this is a reflection of how you get a little bit further along because I want you to know I'm an addict through and through. I'll be an addict the rest of my life and that means I want what I want, what I wanted and and I won't tell you about it if I don't think I'm gonna get it. So I'll just figure out. So all through COVID, I I've been really wanting this old car. I'm getting older and I want one of those cars that old men drive around. You think oh a young man should be driving that but you find an old man in it because yeah. of the only one's going to afford it. So I wanted this old car and all through covid the way I survived it was obsessing about this one car that I wanted certain year, certain color and right at the end of covid I found it. You know, and I talked to a lot of I was sending cars to the shop to make sure that they were working, you know, when I was going to buy. It. I finally found the right car and then I realized it was really expensive. And we, you know, we weren't really in a place to spend that kind of money. And I thought, oh my God, I'm never gonna see this car and I'm never gonna run into this car. And I don't think I'm gonna get my spouse to agree. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take ten thousand dollars out of our equity line. I'm gonna put it down in the car. He's never gonna know. And then when the monthly price comes up, he's gonna say, Oh, that isn't expensive as I thought it was. And so I figured and I went through a whole different couple of kind of calculations about how to get what I wanted without getting into the disagreement about what he or he might not want. And I was almost there and then I thought, oh wait, I'm in recovery. And that means I can't do this. And I listened to this guy named Stan Tatkin who writes about equality in the relationship and it being about us. And so I dragged myself up to my husband and I said, okay, you know how much I'm wanting this car? Well, here's how much it is. And would it be okay if we got it? And he said, I don't really think we have the finances right now. It wouldn't make me comfortable. And then I called the guy who handles our finances and he said, Well, number one, I don't think it would be great for your finances. And number two, I don't think it would be good for the karma of your relationship. (laughs) And so I had to say no to something I wanted. And I have to tell you, every time I see that car on the street, I feel bad. But I did the right thing. And I guess what I'm asking you is that I may not in the moment think about or even plan the right thing. I'm thinking about me. But I think. You would agree that this is part of the recovery process, is that we're not necessarily going to immediately say, oh, us, us, us. But when push comes to shove, that decision is not one that I make for myself, because I know it will hurt the other person.
1: I will agree. And what you're also speaking to, Rob, is pausing when agitated, because you stopped just long enough to say, okay, my partner doesn't want to buy this car. It makes him very anxious. That's his opinion. I'm going to call our financial advisor guy and ask him what he thinks. That pause allowed you to stop long enough and think through Mm -hmm. and beyond the immediate gratification of I want what I want when I want it. And that is something that is so hard to teach in recovery and to teach addicts to do because it's a practice. It's a daily practice.
0: Like a meditation. Yeah. Yeah. So I really want to get down to Coupleship, Inc., because I think what you've written in the book is, it's not only, obviously it's not for therapists, it's re, I mean, therapists can use it, but it's really a practical guide for couples of all types to figure out how do we come to peace with the situation when it comes up? And why did you come together with the person you wrote with? And what were you guys thinking about, or how did you shape that, that helped you work together and make how finance and therapy make sense?
1: Beautiful question. Beautiful question. Uh, When Rick and I got together, he and I are colleagues from the financial world, and he's a financial planner and brings his wealth of information, pun intended, into this project. I brought my knowledge and experience as a therapist into this project, and we decided that what we both could bring to the book was what couples really needed, both the financial and the emotional aspects of how to resolve conflict and build intimacy. One of the topics I really wanted to bring was a concept called cognitive biases. It's out of economics and it's the beliefs that we have, the the way in which we view the world, the cognition, and we are biased by certain aspects. A cognitive bias, uh, for example, of an endowment bias that what I hold, I may hold an iPhone or I may have a bottle of wine or an item that I think is valuable, very valuable, and yet. If I go to sell it, it's valued less. But because I own right. it, I overvalue. Its I think inequality. my
0: house is worth so much more than the real estate broker does. That's Thank a you. bias.
1: Thank you. Mm-hmm. So I, as a topic, asked Rick, I'd love to include this. This is why. And he goes, well, you know, I don't really know. I don't think this is really applicable. And I went, no, it's incredibly applicable. I think, in fact, in ways that couples could really understand why some of their arguments and conflicts are happening. And we went back and forth. And we ended up with, we're not so sure. So I wrote this whole, all the material for it. We go to a conference together and one after another, after another breakout session, spoke about cognitive biases. Hmm. And I go running up to Rick and I said, <laughs> I, I was right. I did not say that. I, my <laughs> ton. I tried very hard and That's I said, Rick, sad. I hope you hear the importance of what we really want to include here for couples. Fast forward, we did, and to Rick's credit, he thought long and hard, and I said, if you th- keep thinking, we won't be able to include this in the book, but he, to his credit, he included it. We were on a podcast not too long ago together, and the interviewer said to Rick, what is your favorite part of the book? He asked both of us, and Rick's answer was the cognitive biases. Hmm. Now, I was floored because what I thought was a compromise on his part, to compromise us coming together together. We're not all gonna get what we want. Parts of what I wanted in the book didn't arrive, parts of what he wanted didn't we compromised. We there was a part of him that was willing to see that the cognitive biases is very valuable for couples to know. About.
0: So I, I need to concretely understand how this plays out between two people. Cause I understand what you're saying is I bought a sweater and I think it's a fantastic and I look around and I see a bunch of those sweaters and I think, Oh yeah, this is the better sweater to buy. And those other sweaters are, you know, they're not very nice. So my bias is I bought this and I feel good about it. And that's because it rewards me in feeling good about myself. Right? So how does that apply to the relationship
1: piece? yeah, in a real concrete way, my partner's grandmother may have passed down this very, very special and very valuable table that my partner wants as a mainstay of the house and to furnish around it. And I look at this table and all I see is you're Scratches. (laughs) This thing, this old thing. And Mm -hmm. so the argument goes back and forth of it's a very valuable table. And all I see it's lack of interest. I don't like it. It looks horrible. And we argue around, I don't like it, but I do. And my partner's value overvaluing what this table is worth. That's
0: emotional, right? It's an That's where their emotional comes in.
1: But there is a mm-hmm. cognitive bias around mm-hmm. that. And so the value attribution of that Cognition is something that I have to pay attention to because I know where he's coming from. This is his point of view and that I can value where he's coming from. Again, it's about understanding and being able to hear where a partner is coming from.
0: Do I have to agree then? Do I have to say, well, okay, I think that looks like that table came from the scratch and dent sale. <laughs> but because it has meaning to you from the past, I'm going to ignore my what I think is how you would actually see it and, or anyone would see it and go with the thought, the meaning that it has when you think about it. Do I have to give up?
1: I don't have to give up. I could choose to compromise. We could agree to disagree. We can have a conversation about what part of me doesn't want this table and what part does. And we ultimately have to arrive at some decision that will be best for us. And maybe I don't get my way. Maybe the table is going to just be there and become the bane of my existence. But because I know it brings pleasure and joy to my partner, then I can be okay with it.
0: And I can embrace it. Yeah. And it isn't the bane of my existence at that point, because I realize it makes my partner happy. And then it's a gift for both of us. Exactly. I have to tell you that, Deb, though, I hate that table.
1: (laughs) (laughs) table. (laughs) And I've heard this exact example many times.
0: When people read Coupleship Inc., and by the way, folks, Every one of you fights about money. Every one of you brings money into these addictive problems. Every one of you is fearful that if they're doing this, then what else they can do? And every addict is thinking, how could I have done that and not realized how it's going to affect my the finances of our family? I mean, these are issues that come up consistently in every case I deal with, no matter what the source of infidelity is. I have long wanted a book like this that I could hand folks. And I want to remind you of the subtitle, From Financial Conflict to financial intimacy. It doesn't say from financial contact to financial resolution. It talks about relationship in that discussion. And so, Deb, I, I guess I want to ask you, what will people get when they read this that is different than reading a magazine about money or a book about money or a book about how to be more intimate in a relationship? How do they make that connection? Because as you're talking about a larger issue, right? You're yeah. not just talking about the money. Mm-hmm. So how does this relate?
1: What really sets this book apart from other books is that we give not only a way to understand our arguments about money but the path a forward the, the path forward with exercises and literal hand-holding step-by-step guide Good. how to resolve some of these conflicts to the extent of building intimacy. Your point was very well taken. The title was not resolution. It was building intimacy, which is understanding what my argument with my partner is about, what it is that I'm really driven by, and how to have a better understanding of the parts of me and the parts of my client, uh, parts of my client, the parts of my, of my partner that make up couple shipping, that make us as a couple.
0: You know, folks, this is why I value uh, Ms. Kaplan so much is because she really is the first person who I have worked with, who is a supervisor and an excellent CSAT, trainer, and so involved with the intimacy relationship, infidelity, wounding piece of the work. And yet she comes from the financial world. And that combination of thinking about things you just, I find a lot of people who do what you do, Deb, and I've watched your career and how you have put these pieces together over and over. This isn't your first rodeo or first book, but I was looking at your title and I want to say I took the word financial out of it. And this is what I get, coupleship from conflict to intimacy. And so that piece really tells me you could, you don't have to be talking about money. You know, you could be talking about coupleship from uh, struggling with raising your kids to raising your kids in an intimate, I mean, you could say anything, but this is the big one. This is the one that they need. If they get this one right, by the way, I really appreciate in, in coupleship incorporated. And I want you folks to hear this, you know, Deb, one of my beliefs, and I say this all the time is not everyone's gonna make therapy. Not everyone has the resources, the money, the time. Some people aren't interested. Not everyone's going to make a 12-step program. It's uncomfortable. They don't. And
1: but- that was our motivation. That was our motivation to give couples a hand guide yes. that they can work through this themselves. And we have step-by-step actions they can take to resolve some of their differences and not toward a resolution of, I get what I want and you got what you want, but that we're building intimacy. Because you're right. Not everyone has access to resources. And that was our hope, that this is a very different guide to that end.
0: And yes, folks, I mean, that was a, really my bottom line is the fact that someone can pick something up like our podcast, like blogs, like all this stuff. You don't have to pay a cent for it. Or in Deb's case, you know, I know how books sell. She'll make 15 cents for every one that she sells. You're but what gratuitous. you will get, 20? <laughs> did you say 20? No, I said you're being gratuitous. I may make Well, <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That's that's the nature of publishing. Yes, it is. But, but what she's giving us is the tools. And I think, you know, I've read a lot of books that are, yeah, let me talk about money. Let me talk about relationships. But here's how, as a couple, step-by-step, step, you can deal with this. Um, that's what I admire most, Deb, because you know the fancy words, they're great, but people just often need to know what to do. And I think you've really given that to them. Let me ask you this. How do people find you? Because I know they're going to want to talk to you. I know, and I hope, by the way, that people want... Uh, Ms. Kaplan to do workshops for you that she they want intensive, that you want couples. Deb is amazing. And this is why she's such a good teacher in front of a hundred people or five and helping them understand how to negotiate issues and what this is all about. So please bring Deb Kaplan into your world. If they want to, how can they find you?
1: I'm on the web in many different places. One at debrakaplancounseling.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I am on Facebook under Deborah Kaplan.
0: So let me spell that for you folks. It's D-E-B-R-A K-A-P-L-A-N. Correct. Because Deborah, you know, Deborah is like Tammy. How do you spell that <laughs> name? So it's D-E-B-R-A-K-A-P-L-A-N dot com. Great.
1: Counseling.com.
0: Counseling.com. Okay. Deborah Kaplan Counseling.com. And when they get there. Are they going to find information? Are they going to find education? Are they-
1: oh, a world of information, pages of information to read, to understand themselves. There are pages for each of the books that I've written. There are links to resources and there are blogs and different articles that they can hear, some of them podcasts that have been recorded and, and mm-hmm. linked to the website, as well as videos to watch. And they can find me on YouTube as well. I have a YouTube channel. I have Not in Truth put much up lately because I've been busy doing podcasts or writing books. Well, Uh, now I'm going to kick
0: you in the butt. Get up there and do a YouTube. Thank you. One more question for you before we go. You mentioned an organization where people might be able to find professional therapists who do this work. And obviously, you aren't in every state in the union. Deb's in Arizona, by the way, way up in the mountains in a really beautiful place, which I will not name. But uh, how can people find this organization where people are trained? You know, Can they go on there and find a therapist?
1: Yes. Thank you. The Financial Therapy Association, FTA, has a uh, a beautiful website and you can find therapists all around the world, different states. Some of us, like myself, work across the country and across countries and abroad. But depending on what specifically you're looking for, because financial therapy involves both the financial planning aspect and as a therapist, I don't do that. And financial planners don't do therapy, but right. they bring the two together and allow for couples, individuals, and others to find some resources in the domain they're searching for the specific topic they need.
0: So they will find people there. Yeah. And I guess my last, 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 I always say this is my last question, but this one really is, if I was a therapist, which I am, and I wanted to learn learn more as a professional about how to do this work, would that also be a place that I would go? Or would I write you or call you or what would be the best way for me to get more training?
1: I am very approachable that if you were to contact me, if you didn't hear from me, it's because I did not get your email, but I answer every email. I will respond to every phone call and um, I will help direct you in the places that you need.
0: DebKaplanCounseling.com is where you're going to find a way to write Deb a note. You know, this is our second podcast. And to me, this is like having a cup of coffee without the coffee. So, I just love sitting and chatting with you. And, folks, I think this is helpful. I hope this is helpful for you. We're going to come back. I really want to talk about gender related issues Lovely. to finances. And, you know, just real quickly like the culture doesn't pay men and women equally, and we don't value men and women equally financially. And I have a feeling that does play out into coupleships and relationships. And that's sort of why I was asking about gender. So, yeah. um, lots for us to talk about. And we talk about sex as money, which I
1: want to talk about financial domination.
0: Okay. Well, I'll leave you with that sexy topic. Folks, this is Deb Kaplan, one of my favorite people who focuses on the relationship between money and intimacy and financial and relationship security. Thank you so much, Deb, for being with me. It is always great to work with you.
1: My pleasure and honor. Thank you.
0: Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com.